Well, it's been hard to sleep this week, hasn't it, because of the heat. Um, I'm not a great sleeper, as some of you know, um, and I've heard over the years many ideas of how you should, what you should do if you can't sleep. So one tactic, I'm told, is to look back to a good moment in the past, and that's what you focus on. I had a friend, actually, who used to look back, which I thought was rather bizarre, to childbirth. (laughs) I can't find that relaxing, but there we are. That's what she looked back to, um, a moment of childbirth. Um, Other people, um, perhaps with the trend of mindfulness, they focus on the present, So they think about, I don't know, their breathing in and out, or their tummy going up and down as they breathe, or relaxing each muscle from their toes to their fingers. That's another tactic, so focusing on the moment. Or other people, I think, look forward to something. So they think of something they're looking forward to, their Amazon delivery, their holiday, whatever, their their new decoration that's coming, and that's what helps them relax and then drift off back to sleep. Well, I don't know, what, what's your happy place? What would you think about if you were trying to return yourself to, to peace and joy? Are you a past person, a present person, or a future person? I don't know. I don't even know if one's better than the other. What's interesting, though, is that the slide, which I'm hoping is coming up, the psalm that we're about to look at, Psalm 85, has a very definite past, present, future structure. It's striking as soon as you read it, I think. Um, Like last week, this psalm was written for the director of music, so presumably would have been sung, and it's described as being of the sons of Korah. Nobody quite knows exactly what that means, but probably some sort of temple assistants, people who in some way assisted in worship in church. Um, whatever their exact role, the, the main point of the sons of Korah was to point people to God in worship. Um, and the fact that it's for the director of music to be sung by worship leaders, if you like, written by worship leaders in some form, shows us that it's a communal psalm. It's not just David privately lamenting something in his own life. It's a communal psalm thinking about the church community or Israel as a community. So that's what I want you, the position I want you to be in this morning. Think about yourself as part of the church community, not just about your own personal situation. We're going to think about this psalm and how it relates to Haywards Heath Baptist Church. Or if you're not I've got lost, now I'm back on, um, of Haywards Heath Baptist Church, the church community that you're in, whatever that is. So let's read it. Psalm 85. (coughs) You, Lord, showed favour to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Saviour, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? 
Show us your unfailing love, God, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. If you've got Psalm 85 in front of you, it might help you as we look at it, either on your phone or in the, in the, the flesh, so to speak. Um, and what I've done is I've taken those past, present, future sections, and we're going to look at them in that order. So past, here we are, verses 1 to 3. So this is where the, the psalmist, whoever he or she was, um, is looking back to what God did do for Israel. So I've highlighted those verbs, they're in the simple past tense. You, Lord, showed favor, you restored the fortunes, you forgave, you set aside all your wrath, from your anger. So they're all the past tense. And it's this simple past tense, it's not, Lord, you have shown favor, Lord, you have forgiven, you have got, it's not that. That would imply that he's done it, and we're still seeing that now. The fact that he's using the simple past tense is, means that he's sort of looking back. But it's all over. You showed favor then. You restored us back then. You forgave us then. And it's as if he's looking to something and saying, but we're not seeing this now. He's, not, he's, he's reflecting on the past. I keep moving in and out. Shall I swap to Chris's head mic? Let's do that. So the implication is that he's looking back to what God has done in the past with a feeling of regret, nostalgia, and wistfulness. The context of it isn't clear. We don't know exactly what he's looking back, which event in the life of Israel he's looking back at. Maybe he's talking about the exile and, and um, wanting to be brought back into the, the you know, worshipping in the temple. We don't know. But whatever, we know that he's looking back at the past, thinking that God did that then, we need this now. We need, we're looking back and wishing it was like that all over again. He's not looking back really at, him, at himself or the life of Israel, really. He's not re reflecting on their past glories 
or the wonderful things they as a people of Israel did. It's all about what God did, isn't it? Very much God being the actor in this situation. He's, he's remembering God and his kindness, his forgiveness, and his um, gentleness with his people. So as we think, apply this psalm to HHBC, what can you look back on, however long you've been here, and be really, really grateful for what God did here? What is it that you might, if you were lying on your bed sleepless at night, what could you think about that God has done in HHBC and think, wow, I'm so glad God did that. Just have a think. You might pick one or two things. It might be the building, the friends you met, baptisms, um, children in youth work, things that you did in other um, elements of, of work in this church. Who knows? The finance for building this building. I don't know. Have a think, and we're just going to pause and silently thank God for it, whatever it was that you've come up with. Let's just pause briefly. It's good to remember the good things God has done for our community. But the psalmist doesn't stay there very long. He moves quickly to the present. And nothing is happening, so you might need to move me on, Andy. Oh, no, there we go, I've done it. There we go. So the, the focus then changes to the present. Here we go. Restore us again. Um, here he is. He's praying for God to act again in the situation they're in now. And I've highlighted a few verbs there, or words. Um, and these are ones that are direct repeats of things he's already said. So he's already used the word restore. Um, he's already used the word anger or angry. Um, he's already used the word show. And so he's picking up very much on what's happened in the past and saying, do that again. He's making very strong links with the vocabulary that he's chosen. Um, He's repeating concepts. Please don't get angry. Don't stay angry. Um, restore us. Um, put away your anger. Show us kindness. So he's making links to the, the present. He is seeing a direct parallel with what Israel needs now and with what God did for Israel before. And similarly, the, word, the, the, the emphasis is on what God does and not at the glories of Israel. Um, it's all about what God does, not really what Israel have been up to. Let me take you into an English GCSE classroom. That's what I do for a living. Um, if you had this in an English GCSE classroom, you might be picking this apart and thinking, how is the psalmist pers persuading God to do something? I'm going to go through this very quickly because we're not really in an English GCSE classroom. But you might spot that... Um, He's used some imperatives here. He said, restore us. Please restore us. Put away your anger. He's, he's using this imperative to say, do it, God. We need you to do something. 
their commands, quite politely put, but nevertheless, they're asking God to do something. Secondly, it's appealing to God's nature as saviour, as being someone who gives unfailing love, someone who um, is, is fair, so he's not going to visit the sins of the past on the present. Will he, be, will he be angry through all generations? Well, of course not, because that wouldn't be fair. He's appealing to God's nature to, to want to forgive. He asks rhetorical questions. So if you are in a GCSE classroom, you may well be told by your teacher, you know, maybe you could persuade by dropping in a question to get your, your listeners thinking about what they could be doing. I can see all the GCSE students going, yeah, I remember that. Um, rhetorical questions. Will you, will you be angry with us forever? You know, will you, will you hold this against us? Will you not revive us again? It's quite persuasive. And highlighting the benefits. There's only one of those. But it's sort of saying, you know, won't you revive us that your people may rejoice in you? It's sort of giving God a nudge. You know, if you revive us, if you act in our situation, it's good for you because we'll rejoice in you again. It's a persuasive little speech. But the really good news, that would be awful actually, wouldn't it? If God only responded to beautifully crafted speeches, wouldn't that be awful? Wouldn't it be dreadful if he marked our prayers and he ticked all the persuasive features and responded on the basis of how high up the mark scheme it got? That would be dreadful, wouldn't it? If we could only get God to listen to us, if we could phrase our prayers beautifully and put in all these like... Um, persuasive features, that would be awful, wouldn't it? That would, that would strike out all the people that just can't put their feelings into words, and we're all like that sometimes. That would be a dreadful position to be in. The good news is that although this is a persuasive prayer and beautifully crafted, he's not done it because that's what God responds to. He's done it because God responds to genuine prayer, however it's expressed, whether beautifully or badly. God responds to our prayers, and that's good news, whatever situation we're in. Even if we can't put it into words at all, that's fine. God can respond to that. So the very famous version, verse that we get in Romans 8 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. We don't even know what to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is good news. So let us pause and just think, in the life of our church now, what, would, what do we need God to do now? Maybe we don't even know what we ought to pray for sometimes. But what does HHBC need now? What are our current needs as a church? What new works and initiatives are about to be coming around the corner, whether that's the Restored Lives course or the men's work or um, the, the August family funds. What new things are about to happen that we need God to act in? Let's pause and pray 
You don't have to rephrase it beautifully or couch it in beautiful, persuasive features. You can just present those things to God now. And then the psalmist moves to the future. There's a change here in the subject of the verb that most of it so far has been about what God's done. And then he says, I will listen. So it's not we and it's not God. I will listen to what God the Lord says. One of the commentaries I read suggested that this might be because it was a signal to the director of music that this was going to be a solo voice. So a soloist might step out from the choir and sing this bit. I will listen. Who knows? But it's interesting that it's probably not necessarily a priest who'd be singing that solo bit. Could be one of the singers, maybe the best singer they had. Maybe it was the director of music themselves. Maybe it was one of the worship team, if you want to use modern parlance. But it doesn't, it doesn't, anyone can listen to God. You don't have to be anyone special at all. You don't have to have a label or a job title. Absolutely anyone, whether you're young or old, important if you think so, or really unimportant in your own eyes, it doesn't matter. You can listen. Everyone has a role in listening to God and maybe communicating it to the people that need to hear God's word. So that's quite encouraging, because you might think, I'm nobody, I don't have a role, I don't do anything. But you can listen and encourage others with what you hear from God. Um, And sometimes messages come from unlikely people, don't they? And the tense also changes. So it's not just the subject of the verb, I will listen, but I will listen. He's, He's putting himself in the future. What is God going to say? Well, the answer appears to come quite quickly, doesn't it? Um, maybe the, the writer of these words, they did listen. Maybe they didn't write the next bits until they'd sat for quite a while listening. And this is what they wrote when they heard what God said. He promises peace. What can we expect God to say to us? Well, we know that he promises peace. And when God promises something, it happens. When he speaks, it happens. There's not any doubt about that. It uses the word surely. So we can be confident of peace, whatever we are about to go through. And we can expect good things, salvation, being saved. We can expect glory. His glory may dwell with us. In my version of the Bible, I don't, it's an NIV, but I'm, it, it didn't say turn to folly. It said, let them not return to folly. Um, so I don't know if you ever th- look at what we've done in this church and think, well, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe that wasn't a good decision. I am sure that if we went back through the history of HHBC, there might be things that we think, oh, 
yeah, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. We, we tried it, but it didn't work. Uh, or we tried it, but in the end, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Maybe you could think of things that you might think, oh, that wasn't a good decision, or that didn't quite work. We've been on holiday recently, and we went um, to Yorkshire, and we saw a couple of follies Follies of buildings that don't really have any use, and they were just built in gardens to provide a focal point and to make the garden look pretty. Uh, so these were two that we saw. So the one on the left is the Temple of Hercules. Um, it's in Studley Royal Water Gardens near York, fairly near York, I think, North Yorkshire anyway. Um, I don't think there's anything in it. It's just an empty building, really. Um, and the other one is a very pretty tower, which is now used, I think, as a holiday cottage. Um, it's called the Culloden Tower, or Cumberland's Temple. It's in Richmond, not Richmond in, in London, but Richmond in North Yorkshire. And it was built by the... Um, I don't actually know who... Oh, it was probably built... I don't know who it was built by, but it was, it was built um, to commemorate a battle. So it was looking back to the past and saying, yay, I assume they won. Otherwise, why would you build a tower? I don't know, actually. But um, here we go. We have two follies that were built to look pretty and remind themselves of things. But in a way, what a waste of money, actually. I mean, they're pretty, but is it actually just a show of, you know, look how much money we've got to spare to build something useless? <laughs> I don't know. Um. But it did make me think um, about folly and whether, you know, we sometimes get things wrong. Of course, um, we do do stupid things, maybe as individuals, and certainly as a church, maybe sometimes we've done things that didn't work. Um, we tried, but perhaps it didn't work. Or maybe we think everything's been a fantastic success and we can look back with a sense of, joy, and sometimes even pride, perhaps. I, d I don't know. But actually, I don't always think it's a good thing to look back to the past and sort of commemorate it too much. Wouldn't it be awful if you walked in here and there were all the former ministers up on the wall looking down at you? Don't you think that'd be awful? I think that'd be awful. I think it'd be particularly awful for whoever becomes the minister next. Wouldn't it be dreadful to walk in and think, oh dear, I'm being watched and everything I do is being compared to what these people did throughout the previous decades. I think that might be a bit grim, really. A bit like the headmasters and headmistresses that might be up on the wall in your schools, I don't know. So perhaps it's not always good just to look backwards. I don't know if you're a looking backwards sort of person. Maybe you are. I think some people are. They, they, they look back a lot. They're nostalgic sort of people. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But I think generally we should look back in with gratefulness and gratitude and make sure we thank people that have done things, but actually then move on. So the future of HHBC will definitely look different, won't it? Um, Chris will not be here. Things will change, a new minister will come, and that minister will be different. And it would be awful, wouldn't it, if everyone always said, oh, Chris didn't do it like that, or, um, oh, we used to do this, or we used to run this. We don't want to live in the past, we need to be open to the future. 
So a message for you is thank you very much for your gratitude to Chris and for our send-off last week. We are very, very grateful for that. It was a very happy and emotional moment, and we've been very touched by the cards and the gifts and the things that have been put through our door and people inviting us around. It's been lovely. We've been really touched by your kindness and your love for us. But please don't look back. Look forward. Be open to change. Be open to someone doing things differently and maybe making you a bit uncomfortable. Because change is uncomfortable, isn't it? We'd much rather sit in our rut but you might be doing new things and things that you maybe don't even agree with, but be open to something different. The final bit of the psalm is the, the bit that's famous. It's not a particularly famous psalm, but this bit you do sometimes hear. And it talks about what it looks like to live in harmony with God. When God steps in, what does it look like? When God looks at us in our needs and acts, this is what it looks like. We get love, faithfulness, righteousness, peace, faithfulness, righteousness. Um, originally, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, is God supposed to be the love and we're supposed to be the faithfulness? And we're supposed to. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's a God heaven thing. I think it's a whole picture of what it looks like to live in harmony. And you need all of those things. If you think of a relationship of love with no faithfulness, that would be awful, wouldn't it? And if you think of uh, righteousness but no peace, that would be awful. All of those things are needed. They're all characteristics of harmony. If you don't like the sort of abstract nouns, maybe what you'll like is the idea of grain, harvest, tangible things. There will be good things coming to HHBC in the future. There will be harvest. He's going to give what is good. Don't know what that looks like yet. Harvest may be in terms of numbers and baptisms and new families and new joiners and new activities. Might be that. Might also be in the quality of discipleship and how closely we, you nearly, as a congregation, follow God. The last verse talks about the future, really. It talks about preparing the way for God's steps. The Lord will give what's good. He will prepare the way for his steps. Whatever the future holds for HHBC, we have to follow, don't we? We want to follow. We wouldn't want to be in any different position, would we? So let's pause and pray. Think of the future that's coming to HHBC. Think of your role in it, what you might be doing now, and what you might be called to do or start doing differently. And in your mind, have a vision of following Jesus, which is what we're all here to do. In your mind, picture Jesus walking ahead of you, maybe looking back over his shoulder with a smile, and a come on, and a sense of excitement, and joy, and love for you, as he prepares the way for this congregation. Let's pause in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song that picks up on those ideas.
Dear God, we want to follow you. We want to follow your son, Jesus. Give us as a church a vision of you walking ahead of us, beckoning us on, smiling at us with love and encouragement and a promise of your peace. Amen.